when living in a city as busy as New York, it can feel almost impossible to make self-care and mental wellness priorities. And in an administration and climate as disheartening as this one, you know, with Orange Cheeto Man as president, joy can feel like a foreign concept. Millennials are depressed and anxious. But here at the New School, we try to put our mental health first. I decided to sit down at Brooklyn's Butter and Scotch Bar to talk self-care, mental health, and mental wellness with Omar Abreu and Jay Elizabeth Johnson, two peer health advocates for the New School Student Health Services. Who's a famous cake maker? Uh, I'm trying to say someone remember. I'm trying to say someone find that. Little Debbie. <laughs> Not Mickey. <laughs> that is Rocker Boo Boo. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Betty Crocker <laughs> takes several seats. <laughs> Betty Crocker? Mm-hmm. Was Betty Crocker ever alive? Is real person? That's a good question. Is Betty Crocker real? We don't know. Shit. Wow. I feel like she used to do the Betty Crocker commercials. Really? Or wasn't that just like an actor? Oh my gosh, is Betty Crocker like White Woman Jesus? Like we know of her. There's like a mythology. There's being actors. So I just want to <laughs> call in the fact that this is a mess. <laughs> and Omar is a mess. And then I'm really grateful to be to have been invited to temper out the mess. Well, first, we decided to figure out whether or not Betty Crocker is real and or white female Jesus. We learned that she is not. Then we decided to talk mental health. My name is Omar Brew. I am a sophomore. I'm in the Parsons Fine Art Program. Um, I use they them pronouns, and I'm from the Bronx. Hi, I'm Jay Elizabeth. I'm a third year at Parsons and Lang. I'm studying illustration and literary studies. I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, originally. My pronouns are they and them, and that's pretty much what I do here. <laughs> Awesome. So we're here to talk about mental health and mental wealth and mental wellness, you know? So can we start with a little bit about your own mental health journeys? Um, Well, first of all, my mental health journey has taken me to this beautiful place where I'm eating cake, basically for breakfast. But (laughs) along the way, I was diagnosed with chronic mental illness pretty early on. Um, I was about 11, 10 or 11 years old um, and started going into psychotherapy for treatment and during that was held really well by my parents and so lucky to have the stigma of caring for yourself lifted and instead being like a necessity like living with chronic mental illness is really difficult but the value that it teaches you about caring um, not just with medicine but with you know a lifestyle is so crucial and so I took that with me in my adjustments in my moves 
Um, and in my academic and work career as like wellness has to be at the center of everything, especially for folks at the intersections of marginalized identity. Um, for me, in retrospect, I think my mental health journey started way before I ever had the language or the resource to call it um, what I was dealing with. I think my um, experience with depression and anxiety started sort of in middle school and in high school, um, but it was something that I just didn't know what's it called nor how to do it and my parents also even though they were um supportive of people in our family you know seeking therapists seeking mental health treatment um it was still just something that we just didn't have the proper um experience in in order to how to deal with and how to more most well mostly how to recognize it and treat it early it wasn't until later after i returned from australia after my evangelical christian stint that I realized that, you know, that one depression is something that sort of has existed in my life sort of throughout my life and not something that's sort of situational but something more that's a part of my brain's chemistry. And then I started seeking therapy and I started, you know, taking more steps. And, I mean, it's gotten me to the point now where I have I have the practices now, but it's it took a minute of sort of my own exploration as to what it even is that I'm experiencing and finding the language to describe that uh, before I got here. So, with that, what is your self, self-care self regimen? Because it seems like both of you have an idea of, here's where my mental health is. How do I deal with it? So what are you guys, what's a day in your self-care? For me, it's something that sort of takes place over time. Weekly therapy is, like, essential. I started going to therapy in 2016 when I came back from Sydney and I had nothing going on for my life at the moment. So therapy was, like, the one thing I could build a practice on. And then sort of the rest of my practice branches off that weekly meeting, Um, whether that is journaling or that's... um, sort of taking time to meditate, taking time to be with myself, um, allotting time for myself to feel what I need to feel um, is really important. And um, I mean, it comes in waves. There are times where I'm like really on it and there are times where I'm not so much on it. But for me, therapy is like the one thing where I'm like, I do not care how my week is going. Like I need a place where I can talk about it and that's all that exists. Um, So yeah, that's sort of where I'm at in terms of my regimen. I'm also a really big proponent for therapy. I I don't think it works for everyone. And so I think that's an, also a misconception of, like, get a therapist and your life will be amazing. Like, that is not how it works. And also the process of finding a therapist and finding the right one and, like, basically shopping around for the person that is going to fit into your life the best is such a process. Um... But for me, it's it's what works. Um, that is my treatment. I go weekly, um, best for a long-term option. And then through that, in the limbo of before I was seeing my current therapist, who I just started with very recently, I do, like, scents in my room and, like, make sure that my space is clean and writing as a 
poet and uh, like visual artist. Collage and journaling are crucial to the way that I take care of myself and process really hard moments. Um, and then also just like keep my baseline normal when things aren't hard. Doing going through that motion and going through that practice makes the lows easier to to live through and to like have that will. Um, and also community care is so crucial to my self care. And so when I'm low or my community's low they impact each other in that same way so making sure that I'm checking in with the people that I care so deeply for even when my social battery is like very low is also a way that I fundamentally need to take care of myself or else everything else starts to slip so I guess going off that and then like community care what made you decide to become a PHA and that means peer health advisor right yes peer health advocate advocate yeah Ooh, yeah right. we advocate for our peers health yes <laughs> so what made you decide to become a PHA and like what does that job entail yeah um I was kind of recruited as someone who was so interested in doing organizing work on campus. Um, our lovely supervisor, uh, Tamara um, Oyola Santiago, is just like the queen of the new school campus. And so kind of saw that in me and suggested that I pursue that process. And being in this cohort, we go on a retreat at the beginning of each academic year, um, and some people return to do facilitation there. Um, and basically the belief system is that social justice is intrinsic to health and wellness, and so one can't exist without the other. Um, so we have people who are doing traditional um, Eastern and Western wellness practices, but also people who are just organizing for racial justice, and that is wellness to us. I got involved, I was looking for a work-study position, and there was a position for an LGBTQ uh, plus organizer, and um, I was really, I just wanted a position where I knew I would be able to organize on campus. I thought that it would be like the best way to like have a work study position, but also like do something that I think would be worthwhile and meaningful. Um, so that's how I first got involved. And as a PHA, at first I was sort of just committed to um, to queer organizing on campus, but then because of the team and because of sort of the dynamics, like showing up for each other and organizing for each other and like the lines between justice and health and between sort of the quote-unquote issues that we're tackling um, have an opportunity to be blurred and to be intersected in a really beautiful way. Um, so yeah. Love it. So, okay, so I guess we're gonna wrap up with... How do you encourage safe coping skills and self-care and mental wellness in your peers and in yourself? Because, you know, understanding these things that you need can tend to be a little different than actually putting it into practice. So how, how do you tell other people, hey, sis, maybe you should take a bubble bath today, you know? I think the key is that... Um, 
it's not easy, it's work, and so when people are saying that they're struggling, sometimes the thing that you do is listen, and then the thing that you say is, like, be patient with yourself, and so... I can give you all of my tips, but it really, for me, was a process of trial and error and, like, having moments where I thought I was invincible and, like, shortly realized that I was not. And so, um, I think it starts by having those honest conversations of, like, what this process looks like and how to make it for you, like, wellness is so commodified and, and written as so white and wealthy and it's and it's not always buying the right products and like going to Lush twice a week like it is also doing the things that you need to do to like survive the day and make your week better um, and so starting from that standpoint of like every person who is trying to make themselves their best selves um, are coming from different access levels and like different cultural backgrounds and have different needs and personalities and so let's talk about what works for you and, and your communities. Yeah, I think I really resonate with this with sort of being gentle with yourself. Um, no one's gonna be tender for me or no one's really called or responsible to be tender for me. Like I have to be tender for myself because I'm the only person that I can't, like that's the only responsibility that I'm able to actually put on myself. So I try to be responsible for my own tenderness in a way. Um, so that, and I say that, I say that meaning that I don't want people to beat themselves up. Uh, I want. I think there's this sort of like fear of being tender, or not wanting to be for whatever reason. But I think at the same time, it's like allowing yourself to be tender and sort of taking that on as something that you, that's one of the things that you can do for yourself. Actually, is not tenderness is something that gets in the way of anything, but it's something that we actually need to prioritize. Um, is really important. That's something that I try to. Better than how I'm communicating it now, I try to communicate to my friends who a lot of times beat yourself up, especially in this school and this institution in this city that's so productive focused, that's so what can you do focused. Um, being like your professors and all these other people aren't really, can't really be uh, dependent on for tenderness, but you could be dependent on your to bring tenderness to yourself and to allow yourself to have that space. So. Yeah. Softness is not yeah. profitable. Right. <laughs> softness is, it makes no money for yeah. anyone. Anyway. Yeah. But it's like so valuable. And that's the difference. Thank you. Thank you. I caught it. Thank you. <laughs>